1: Jen Mueller and John Boyle with you as the Seahawks look to clinch a playoff spot this week in Washington. That of course is possible because of the Seahawks win last week against the Jets, which of course, John makes everything this week, just a little bit better, just a little bit brighter, makes the holidays seem that much nicer. Am I over exaggerating or does it feel really good this week?
0: No, it feels great. I mean, look, everyone expect, expects a team to go out and beat the winless Jets, but you still got to do it. And they not only got the job done, but they did it in very dominant fashion, which is what you want to see a good team do against a struggling team. So, yeah, everything's better after a win. And hey, another another winning season. I know they have bigger goals in mind, but that ninth win means nine straight years with a winning record.
1: And it means for Russell Wilson that he is a quarterback who has gotten there every single year. That is a significant accomplishment. And we talked a lot about what it meant to score 40 points, to have the defense not allow a touchdown. But, of course, you have to keep everything in perspective. It was the Jets. They are a winless team. Wins in the NFL can be hard to come by. Now that we've had some time to kind of step away from that one on Sunday, John, what do we actually know about the Seahawks? They did what they needed to do against the Jets, but what do we actually know about the Hawks going forward?
0: I mean, the biggest thing for me is what we've been seeing over really the last five weeks on defense. I, The offense, I know, was struggling a little bit, but they look to be getting it back on track. And if this offense gets back to anything close to what it was early in the year, and now you throw in a defense that's looked really good for five games in a row, this team becomes... A lot more dangerous in the postseason. And look, again, we know the Jets are what they are. They're a winless team, but they also had scored 27 or more points in three of their previous four games. So that was not some hapless offense that can't get anything done. And to just shut them down like they did, I know there were some missed field goals, but you still kept them out of the end zone for four quarters. That's a big accomplishment against anybody.
1: Well, and it is the first time since 2018 that the Seahawks have held an opponent without a touchdown. That was a 27-3 win against the Raiders. When I talked to Ken Norton Jr. this week and asked him, you know, what is the significance of that? He said, anytime that you can do that, it's an accomplishment, especially when the rules are skewed towards the offense, which I hadn't really stopped to think about in context of that conversation. And knowing where this defense came from, he said it it is a big deal that they've been able to make that turn. And I do think that, that it is part of them just coming along and playing together as a team because there easily could have been some sort of a miscue. And they stuck together and they shut the door just like they were supposed to.
0: Exactly. What really struck me, I don't know if you remember, on the drive late in the first half where the Jets got into field goal range really quickly, there's one big gain where it's just a total coverage bust. And what stood out to me about that was it seemed unfamiliar over the last few games. And that was something we were seeing over and over again where it wasn't just teams getting big plays because they made a great play, but you're like, why are these guys running so open? And we just, they've done a great job of cleaning up just those easy plays. So for when it did happen, it was like, oh, wow, that was different versus for the first seven games or whatever the season, we just kept seeing it.
1: And They got a lot of guys in there in the fourth quarter. You know, you rotated through having Ben Burkirvan in there and Cody Barton playing significant snaps. And it would have been easy for them to show some kind of a letdown, and they didn't.
0: Yeah, for sure. And Pete Carroll talked about that this week, how good it was to see when you basically get everyone in the game and you pull all your starters out and there's no letdown. They don't get that cheap fourth quarter touchdown where the game's out of hand and they go march down and get a touchdown to feel good about themselves you kept it up and all the backups did their job, which is great for this team and the depth.
1: It was backups on defense. It was backups on offense. Russell Wilson gets a chance to rest his legs, to rest his arm in the fourth quarter. Gino comes in and leads a scoring drive. But really, at the end of the day, what you've got are leaders on both sides of the ball that know how to get this done and know how they need to approach not only this Washington football team, but the stretch run of the season. And that would be Bobby Wagner and Russell Wilson, who Pete Carroll can't imagine this team without.
2: They've been the leaders the whole way. You know, they've been the guys that have been out in front and carry the message and, and make whatever I'm, I'm pitching. You know, have have make sense. I need a lot of help, and uh, those guys have always been right there. Um, they're just class, character people, and, and uh, it's so important to them to represent for themselves and for their club, and they're they're just incredible competitors you know so you can't ask for more than than what those guys have been and 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 like we've said before you know they've been rewarded for it as well you know they've been recognized and seen for for the great players and the contributors that they are and they just they do such a respectful job in the community and everything that they do everything they stand for so uh they've been perfect
0: yeah i mean we go back and look at you go back to 2012 when that class came in there is a lot of questions about the direction the Seahawks were going. If Pete Carroll and John Schneider were the right fit and all that, and you get a rookie linebacker and a rookie quarterback who become starters day one, and they've never had a losing season together. They've missed the postseason once. Obviously there's a million people responsible for this besides those two players who have come and gone coaches, executives, everybody, but they've been along with KJ, Wright The constant throughout this whole run of success. And it's, Obviously, we, we see the Pro Bowls and the big plays they make, but it's also what Pete talked about there, just the leadership, the way they get that message through, is, especially you go back to 2017 when they turned this roster over a lot, and then it became very much those two even more so were the leaders because a lot of the guys who were there before had moved on, and they've just continued to get Pete's message through to a young team and been a just huge part. I mean, we're talking about two guys who 10, 20 years from now we are going to be talking about two of the greatest players in franchise history if we're not already.
1: Yeah, and I love that you mentioned K.J. right in that conversation because he is right up there with Bobby Wagner. And when you think back to what his willingness to change positions this year has done for the team – it really is just as impressive as the numbers that he is putting up because without KJ being unselfish and without KJ being that team guy, you would not be able to get Jordan Brooks on the field as much, or you wouldn't have KJ there to make the plays while Jordan Brooks was also getting up to speed. It, it, there's been an effect that KJ has had beyond what's showing up in the stats.
0: Exactly. And I know he doesn't necessarily prefer that spot, but I think if you comment on honest moment, he might, realize that he's he seems to be making more plays from that strong side spot where he's at the line of scrimmage I mean whether it's bat and passes down or we saw on the same drive he had the two tackles for loss on run plays so yeah I, I remember last year he was pretty clear that he didn't really want to give up that weak side spot and he preferred this to be off the ball but he made that switch it's better for the team as you said it gets Jordan Brooks on the field and he's just been phenomenal there
1: Well, the upside is KJ gets to move to weak side on third down. So he kind of gets the best of both worlds. Exactly.
0: Depending on the game, the kind of game it is, if they're playing a lot of nickel, he's still in his usual spot more often than not anyway.
1: Well, I tell you what, the defense this week has a little bit of a question mark as to who they are going to face at quarterback. It is the Washington football team. And I tell you what, this team has won four straight games. They now lead the division. It is a dangerous defense for sure, but the question mark on offense and the quarterback that could throw some of the planning in flux, but Pete Carroll knows that his guys are, are up for the task.
2: Fortunately, we've seen enough of, of, you know, both quarterbacks. And, and uh, so we have plenty of film, so we know, you know, how they've chosen to play with them, you know, in championship situations. So that, 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 you know we're we're clued in. They've got a really cool offense and style about the way they do their thing, and, and uh, both quarterbacks um, can manage really well. the 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 difference is Alex has just been around so much longer. You know he's just so much more background, but uh, both guys are talented, big arms, quick, re- really, really quick releases on both guys, and, and they utilize it.
1: So the question mark becomes, will Alex Smith play after injuring his calf last week, or will it be Dwayne Haskins who played the entire second half last week against the 49ers, but didn't have very much luck, at least when the numbers came around, Washington won that game without an offensive touchdown, which goes to the conversation about defense we'll get into in just a minute. But John, how do you see this on the offensive side of things?
0: for Washington on the offensive side yeah to me it goes back to what we just saw against the Giants a couple weeks ago they went into that game not sure who the quarterback would be the Giants ran their backup quarterback out there and didn't get a lot done on offense but played really good defense and that was enough and to your point with Washington they just won a game without scoring an offensive touchdown and that defense is better than what the Seahawks just saw against the Giants so yeah obviously the Washington's going to want to come to the game and play good offense and get a good quarterback play, but their defense is also good enough that I think if they feel like they can be conservative and take care of the football, they might not need a huge offensive performance.
1: Well, and they also might be without the, The running back Antonio Gibson, who leads the team in rushing yards, 11 touchdowns. That is also the most by a rookie running back this year in the NFL. He is fourth in rushing yards, fifth in yards from scrimmage. When you take a look at rookies, he has a toe injury, so he might be out. That means that you're putting an awful lot of pressure on your wide receiving group. And for as good as the defenses, which again, we'll get to that in just a minute, this Washington team, their offense ranks among the bottom 10 in the league. So it would be easy for the Seahawks to potentially overlook some of those things.
0: Yeah. Although it's funny. If, if they're starting running back, can't go one guy they'll see is JD McKissick. And I tell you what, I can't remember a player who wasn't like a prominent starting caliber guy about whom his his teammates raved more than McKissick, those defensive guys back in that era where the CX defense was really rolling, the, the Richard Shermans, Cam Chancers, those guys love J.D. McKissick. And granted, it's been a few years on, but he's a really dynamic player if he gets a chance to get in space. So I think the fact they know him might be a good sign that this defense won't overlook, say, hey, these guys are missing. They don't have the firepower. I, I think they know enough about J.D. McKissick and also the, the rookie receiver, McLaurin is a great player. So they won't take this team lightly no matter who's on the field.
1: You know, the uh, the receiver you just mentioned, Terry McLaurin, same draft class as, as DK Metcalf, drafted later than DK. He and DK do have some kind of a relationship. He texted DK after that play against Buda Baker, where he saved the touchdown after the interception. And then, John, I don't know if you realize this, but he had his own. McLaurin had his own play just like that against Dallas, where he caught Jaden Smith and kept him from making the touchdown play. And so when you look at the numbers, they're both in the top 10 when it comes to receiving yards in the NFL, but they both have, I guess, maybe the similar skill set or put similar highlights on film this year.
0: Yeah. And two great players. Pete Carroll was pretty open about the fact they really liked him. And that was a player that, you know, had their draft fallen a different way, they might have been interested in bringing in just, I remember hearing about him pre draft about just being a, a really solid. Kind of people talk about him as what he's been, a guy who's going to outperform his draft status. And he's been a great player. So, again, there's enough weapons there. I know the stats show an offense that's not super high scoring and dynamic. But the Seahawks defense knows they're going to have to be on their game to keep those guys in check.
1: Yeah, Washington's offense is struggling just 314 yards a game. That ranks 30th in the NFL. They score just over 22 points a game. That ranks 24th. So those numbers don't look impressive. But if you flip this over to the other side of the ball for Washington, it is unbelievably good and talented. You cannot overlook Washington's defensive line.
2: Yeah, it's really the whole unit um, that that really makes this thing move. You know, they're they're just loaded. They're able to play a lot of base defense and be really effective with their four-man rush, but also how they play the run too. You know, and th- this is it's uh it's built around those guys, and you know it's a real challenge to have you know that kind of quality on the edge. Just makes such a difference, and, and Jack knows what he's doing with making uh, making those guys available for a lot of outside edge, edge type rushing. Um, you know, it's it's what, what all the coaches are looking for.
0: Yeah, I mean, this is a defense that's basically top 10 in, in any statistical category you can pull up, and it really does start up front with. I mean, they've obviously Chase young. The number two pick is the guy that everyone talks about, but he's far from alone on that line. He, he doesn't even lead their team in sacks. Montez Sweat does. So it's they've just got a ton of talent there. Chase Young's coming off that monster game against San Francisco where he had the touchdown and batted a pass down, had a sack. So, yeah, it's. For a Seahawks offense that we think got back on track a little bit last week, this and really going to next week against the Rams as well, we're, we're going to see a really good two-game stretch here to test how much progress the offense has made and, you know, just how good they can be going forward. Because if you can get the job done against this Washington defense, that's a really good sign. They're going to make it tough on you.
1: Well, certainly because of Washington's 10 first-round picks that are on the team, Seven of those play on defense and a number of those play on the defensive line. You mentioned Chase Young, Montez Sweat is out there. Jonathan Allen and Darren Payne are also the other names that you need to look for on the defensive line. And when you mention what that looks like against Seattle and the offensive line, what can we take from the win against the Jets that shows perhaps – right? They've got a good plan in place. And maybe it's not the Jets game. Maybe it's a couple of games before because that offensive line has not been playing together due to some injuries.
0: Yeah. I think the biggest thing we saw in the Jets game that could translate, we go back, if you go back two weeks, a game that Seahawks lost to the giants, what Sh- Brian Schotheimer and Russell Wilson both talk about after is they didn't adjust well enough. And they're trying to get those deep shots. And that led to a lot of sacks they only really threw it downfield twice last week. They, they had the deep ball that David Moore probably should have hung on to. And then the one that got intercepted other than that, they did a great job. The jets, much like the giants were trying to take away the deep ball and the Seahawks took what they were good. And they hit a lot of those mid range, you know, 15 to 20 yard passes, but didn't have any deep balls. That might be what you need to do against these teams that are going to rush the passer and, and can get after you. And it, we need, that's to me what we need to see out of this offense is the flexibility And then the other side of it is how good the running game was against the Jets and and that balance of if you're facing a team with that pass rush, you got to get the run game going a little bit. It's not an easy team to run on, but get Chris Carson going and, and make it more balanced.
1: Okay. So two things on that, right? When we look at those stats against the Jets, Russell Wilson, four touchdown passes thrown, right? So he now has a career high. He's got a franchise high for most touchdown passes thrown in a single season. That was one of the biggest headlines coming out of last week's game against the Jets. I know that we mentioned the balance of the running game and what Chris Carson does, but I do think it's worth noting in some of the numbers that have come out this week, Russell's passing grade when Chris Carson is in the game or when he's healthy and available, 92.6 compared to 68.4 when Chris Carson is not in the game. And I don't know that that's being talked about enough, how those two need to be on the same page and available in order to get those four touchdown pass type yeah, games.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's not a coincidence that the worst stretch this offense had and Russell Wilson's worst stretch play season coincide with Chris Carson being hurt. I know in today's NFL, a lot of people like to diminish running backs and say they're all interchangeable, but they're not. There are certain guys who are at a higher level, and Chris Carson's one of them, and he makes this offense better, and they're going to need him to really be, you know, the kind of player he can be down the stretch for this offense to be at its best. And I think we saw – it was a blowout, so they didn't need to lean on him, but we really saw last week in the first half, especially when they were using him more. That that was more the Chris Carson, you know, pre-injury, what he can be, where he's, you know, just really dynamic. And I think he's going to be a big part of the next few games for this team.
1: Well, of course, you could join us every week here on the Seahawks Insiders Podcast, but you can also join us each Thursday from noon to two for the huddle, hosted by Jake and Stacy, along with Seahawks color analyst Dave Wyman. It is your chance to hear directly from Seahawks players as they prepare for Sunday and preview the game ahead with the voice of the Seahawks, Steve Rabel and our very own John Boyle. How about that, John Boyle? You're a celebrity. I know that guy. I know that guy. Hey, but do you know this? We've talked about the Washington offense. We've talked about the Washington defense. And you know that I have a tendency to to mention special teams from time to time. Do you realize how good their punter is?
0: Uh, He was just player of the week. So I imagine he's pretty good. What do you got for me?
1: He has been player of the week two times in the last four weeks. He has only allowed two touchbacks This season, he averages 48.5 yards per punt. And I'm going to say this. If you go back to 2018, he has landed 42% of his punts inside the 20-yard line and just six touchbacks since 2018.
0: We got to give love to the punters on this podcast when they do that.
1: Well, but... Here's what I kind of thought was interesting. The reason that it caught my eye, we talked so much about the Seahawks special teams, which did have a couple of breakdowns against the Jets, but we talked so much about how great Michael Dixon is, the streak that Jason Myers is working on to to flip it around and see, oh, there's a little competition right there. It caught my eye. So field position is going to end up to be a big one this week. That's what I got for you.
0: No, just, I like it. I just it's, thought
1: I would throw that one out there. We
0: like giving our special teams guys some love because they don't they don't get talked about enough, and been a big part of the success this year. I'm they awful. certainly
1: have been. So, if we are thinking about success this week against the Washington Football Team, John, were the two things that you need to see?
0: One on offense, I want to see three or fewer sacks of Russell Wilson. I'm I, I don't think it's reasonable to say he doesn't get sacked at all just the style of offense the seahawks play and how good that pass rush is but and that can happen one of a couple of ways either this offensive line just plays its ass off can i say that uh they they play their butts off and just do a great job and they don't have to change offense that much or b they make the adjustments they need to if this pass rush is getting to them and take some of the shorter passes in the quick game but either way just really keep that pass rush off Russell the best you can And then on the other side, I want to see some turnovers. This defense has done a really good job getting going. And it went from 30 points a game for the first half of the season to 16.4 or 16.2 over the last five games. But oddly, the turnovers have actually decreased. So I want to see, get that back, get two or more turnovers.
1: Okay. So I'm going to add some numbers to this. When you talk about that Washington pass rush, they are tied for fourth in the NFL with 40 sacks. So yes, that is definitely a concern. Here's what I'm going to go with. I'm going to go with offense needing to score twice in the first quarter, and I'm going to go with defense needing to shut Washington out in the fourth quarter. Here is why Washington has allowed significantly more points in the first half of games than the second half of points than the second half of games, 191 to 84. Meanwhile, the Seahawks defense has given up most of the points in the fourth quarter. Now that number has been steadily going down over the last few weeks when you average that out. But I do think the offense needs to jump on Washington early. They need to put up some early points and the defense needs to make sure that their foot is on the gas and that they are able to shut them out in the fourth quarter. So that's what I'm going with. Okay, good deal. Well, we'll see if that is what translates to a Seahawks win on Sunday, but either way, we will be back with you next week for another edition of the Seahawks Insiders podcast.